Welcome to Pixel Pizza. Did she say pizza? Your ultimate source for chiptunes, video game talk, and pepperoni. Delivered to you from Los Angeles and into the digital cyberspace of the 2020s. Pizza Power! That's right, when Super Giant Pizza. I want a large, thick crust with double cheese, ham, pepperoni. Hey, where's my pizza? Pizza time. Welcome, my friends. Welcome to the first episode of Pixel Pizza. My name is Jared, a.k.a. DJ Jetset, a.k.a. the Pixel Pizza Professional, and we are returning to the airwaves after seven long years. So you are probably new to this. You are probably wondering what I mean by that, and I would love to regale you with a little bit of a story here before we launch into our very first episode of the 2020s. And so this is the story, and I... I, to little, introduce myself a little bit, give you some backdrop, I have always been super passionate about video games. I grew up from the age of like three or four playing games, and it's always been something special to me as an art form. I've always seen it as this incredible merge of creators bringing forth something they could not together as a piece of art. And so I've always loved games, and when I reached college... At Emerson College in Boston, I was given the opportunity to host my own radio show for the college's well-regarded underground radio station, WECB. Check them out. They're still on the airwaves today, kicking it. And I figured, why not take what I love, video games, and bring it to the radio space, something that wasn't really being done at the time of 2012 to 2015, which is when we did this. And... I did it, and what I did was every week I would interview a person from around the video game industry, whether they were a developer, a designer, an artist, a programmer, a composer, a journalist, a content creator, and I would sort of understand where they came from and how they approached the industry, what they thought, how they did their work, and what they were most proud of. And we would have some really awesome, interesting conversations. And on top of that, because it was a radio program, I would also play the latest in chiptune music from people around the Boston area. So if you don't know what chiptune music is, it is really fun, dancey, energetic music that is heavily inspired by video games. It is usually created with the hardware of old video game consoles, whether that be the Game Boy, the Nintendo Entertainment System, Sega Genesis, different things that kind of give it this retro feel, while also the compositions are created in a very modern style, a way that's sort of easy to get into, but also has that cool classic edge to it. And so there were a lot of people in Boston who were independent chiptune artists and they wanted a place for people to hear their music, and I was happy to oblige. I 
brought together a lot of great music, and I wanted to do that again. Listen, when I graduated, I was, I mean, I went on to bigger and better things. Of course, I studied at Carnegie Mellon's Entertainment Technology Center. I worked as a localization editor at a number of companies for video games. I have done voiceover for a number of properties, and I'm still doing that today. That's my main focus. I did some journalism for video game websites, including Zelda Informer, The Mary Sue, Breakthrough Radio, a bunch of things. And I feel like now, more than ever, I have the tool set I need to bring these interviews to life to revive Pixel Pizza and bring it back out of the oven, freshly baked, a new recipe reminiscent of the old one. We're going to have guests like before. We're going to have great composers, music like before, and we're going to be bringing the spirit of radio to the podcast space, which I think is a void that is still not filled. And I'm really excited to be doing that. And keep in mind, this is the very first episode after seven years. We are flying by the seat of our pants a little bit. The format may change. We may not have preambles this long beforehand. This isn't Mark Marin. This isn't Conan. But it could be a good way to just get a vibe, get a feeling for how the show is going to go. And so today we have the pleasure of speaking with game developer Chris Chung, who I knew when I was in Boston. And it's going to be awesome to reconnect with him. He is the developer of the beloved indie game Cat Lateral Damage, which recently came out on Nintendo Switch. And as for our music, which we're going to get into right now, we are going to be hearing from the awesome Memo Demo. And I will let you know which tracks we played after the break. So enjoy. Today was an unusual day, but after this, there'll be no more distractions.
Welcome back, everybody, to Pixel Pizza. You just listened to the song Power Slide by Memo Demo. And we are here with our very first interview with uh, an old friend of mine, Chris Chung. As I said, he worked on the game Cat Lateral Damage, and he's now over at Firehose Games. Uh, Welcome, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, how you been? Pretty good. Keeping busy. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like as 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 good as anybody can be during a global pandemic. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. You know that that may actually be a good place to start. How would you say the pandemic has changed, like the way you make games? Uh, yeah, I feel like it it changed a lot, but not a lot at the same time. Um, so I feel like before the pandemic, I was, you know, working in an office with other people and, um, you know, in-person meetings and, you know, when you need someone like just go walk over to their desk and ask them a question. Um, and, you know, since, since the pandemic started, everybody's been working from home, which I think you lose a lot of that kind of in-person office culture of, of game development, but uh, it's still very possible to work. I don't, I don't know. I feel like, uh, I mean, I have, I have this set up uh, at home in my, my basement office. Uh, and I, I feel like as long as I have internet, I can make games. <laughs> internet and a computer, I can make games. Um, and I think for me personally, I think just the remote nature of it, uh, I think has made me a little bit more productive, uh, possibly to a fault, <laughs> where since since my office is, is is at home, I can just work as long as I want, uh, whenever I want. Um, and I know when we were, when, when I was trying to wrap up uh, development on, on Catlateral Damage Remastered, it was like, uh, I, it, it, I feel like it was crunch, but not really crunch. <laughs> um, it was self-imposed crunch. I feel like I was working a lot of hours, but it didn't really feel like a lot of hours. Um, it was just kind of like a time, the pandemic has made just like this time suck of work for me. Yeah, I can um, imagine it'd be hard to tell the difference between when you're working and when you're not. Yeah, um, which I, I, I'm still on the fence of whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, but I, I definitely am trying to shift to a more healthy work-life balance and try to 
uh, deal with that since since we've sh- <laughs> shipped that game. That's great. That's awesome. Going back, rewinding some. When would you say you knew you wanted to make games? That's a good question. Um, I feel like it was uh, sometime in middle school or high school for me. Um, I, I started playing games uh, in elementary school. I think I had a friend in third grade who had Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis. And when I went over his house, like I was, that, that's all I wanted to do was, was, was play games. Um, and then moving into, uh, I think it was middle school or early high school, um, I learned, you know, it was, it was when I was just getting on the internet and I, I found out about uh, Game Maker, uh, which is still, still a, a, a viable game development tool these days too. Um, and I started playing around with a bunch of tutor- tutorials and stuff uh, and just kind of immersing myself in that technology. And I think that was kind of when I realized, oh, I can, you know, I've played a lot of games and I, you know, know a lot about games. Uh, I And I can maybe actually make games. Um, so I, I didn't make anything too uh, noteworthy back then. Uh, but when I was looking at uh, colleges, uh, I found that uh, Worcester Polytech uh, College, uh, about an hour from where I where I grew up, had a, a game development program, um, and I think that that only accelerated the uh, the feeling of of knowing I wanted to make games because it it felt like oh if there's a, a university program for it it has to be a, a viable career path, um, and I think I guess the rest is history from there. Um, I got accepted there and yeah, did four years uh, in, in that program and then uh, kind of jumped into the industry shortly after. That's great. Are there any like old projects? Did you like, when you applied to the school, did you send them any of your games or? Um, I don't think so. Um, I, I, I must've mentioned it in some of the essays and, and whatnot, but I, I know like some of the projects I did, a couple of the early projects I did were basically just tutorials that I like either added stuff to or changed the art or, or whatever. Um, and I think my first, uh, I guess, kind of custom project was like a platformer that had like every platforming feature built into it. It was just like one giant level and it was like, oh, you can crouch and you can shoot and you can climb ladders. And it was all this, uh, funny stuff it wasn't actually a game there wasn't any progression it was just kind of a, a tech demo a bunch of stuff but yeah i don't remember in the admissions pro uh, process if they actually asked about that or anything from then from graduating when, when did you start on cat lateral uh so cat lateral i started um it's about two or three years after i graduated um i was working full-time uh, at a, at a company in, in, uh, Cambridge, Mass, um, and, uh, doing QA for them. And I was, uh, just kind of doing game jams on the side, uh, every now and then. And, uh, Calateral came out of the, uh, seven day FPS, uh, game jam in, uh, end of 2013. Um, so I, I worked on it kind of nights and weekends for the, the, I think it was about seven days for that um, jam. Uh, and at the end, I had a prototype of Cat Lateral that I put online just as, as like a browser game. Um, and it kind of took off after that. 
yeah, that's game jams are the most fun. They're mm. <laughs> just, you just throw yourself into it. I've done a few global game jams, and it's I've made a lot of cool friends that way. Mm. Are there any other jam projects you look back fondly on? I'm trying to think, I know I've done a couple global game jams. Um, some with people I, I hadn't met before and some with, uh, uh, friends and, um, I did Ludum Dare one year just cause it was a quick like weekend jam. And I just like whipped together a like super basic, like shoot em up game that, um, uh, like didn't really have any art. Like everything was just squares. <laughs> um, and I just called it that I just was like, that's, that's the aesthetic of the game. So I don't have time to make art for it. Um, but yeah, I feel like a lot of the the jam games I've done were just uh, pretty pretty quick or pretty just kind of uh, stapled together just because they were uh, like global game jams, like three days, I think. It's just like a weekend thing. Yeah. Um, uh, same with, with Ludum Dari. But um, yeah, I, th- I think uh, the re- one of the reasons that I think Catlateral stuck was just because it was a longer time period to work on it. Um, and I, th- I think that definitely helped get something uh, a little more concrete out of out of the jam. Yeah, I was surprised when you said that. I haven't heard of a seven day game jam before, but I, I, yeah, I can see that gave you more time to put put the thought into it. Yeah, I think I, I think um, yeah, like years ago, it was like game jams were supposed to be like super quick, um, like just a couple of days, or some people would do like twenty four hour game jams or or whatnot. Um, and then I think seven day FPS and I think there's a a seven day roguelike jam too that are a bit longer. Um, And then I I think people just realize like, oh, that's, that's a really short amount of time and people tend not to sleep or take care of themselves. So we should probably run them longer. And I I know there's some, there's like a a bunch uh, on itch.io that basically anybody can, can start them. And I think those usually go longer. Um, Like you can make them go two weeks, three weeks, like a month. And it's, it's, it's very much more low key, like just t- take your time, make something, submit it, like no, no pressure. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember one of the game jams I did was in New York City and I grew up right outside of the city, maybe like a, it's like a 45 minute train ride. And so every day I would go to the jam site first thing in the morning I'd be there all day. Then I'd go back home on the train and sleep at home. And then first thing in the morning, go back. And it was like, I hardly got any sleep, but. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know there are some, yeah, there are some, I think it's uh MIT usually does a site for the global game jam or when we were doing game jams in person. Um, and I think they had a strict, like go home, sleep, <laughs> shower come back uh rule because i know some other uh locations are just like you can sleep here <laughs> just or or work all night or whatever and it's that's that's not the greatest way to to make a game totally. maybe it would be best because cat lateral is such a unique game in like two sentences could you explain it to the audience yeah, uh, so Cat Lateral Damage is a first-person destructive house cat simulator, uh, and you play as just an ordinary cat, and you run around your owner's house and knock things on the floor, 
and that's basically it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you brought it to Kickstarter, right? Originally? Yes. Yeah. So, so what was that process like? Like the whole setting up the Kickstarter and the crowdfunding and that's, that's a whole domain, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, a couple of months after the, the game jam, um, I started working uh, with Firehose Games. We, we partnered together uh, to, to get the game made and, and, and launched. Um, and we did the Kickstarter, I think it was around June, June and July of 2014. So um, I think it's about uh, six months or so um, from, from the Game Jam uh, version. Uh, and uh, so Firehose and I worked together to kind of build the campaign, put it together, uh, do the marketing, um, that, that sort of stuff. Uh, and I, I think building the campaign took us about a month uh, before we even launched it, just kind of putting the page together, getting the video made, um, getting a demo build, a playable demo build for it. Um, and uh, yeah, I th think it was, it was basically a full-time job for, our, for, for us to actually run it after we, we launched it. Um, and a lot of it was, you know, like writing updates and uh, doing outreach and just kind of maintaining it, replying to comments, replying to, to messages. Um, there were a couple of times where we, we updated uh, the reward tiers because I, th I think we had a couple of limited ones that that ran out so we just had to set up new ones um so yeah there, there's just a bunch of uh kind of ongoing work to well, well to to build the campaign and then to run the campaign um and then a little bit of work after that for like uh reward fulfillment and stuff um but i i do think we got in i think kind of on the tail end of kind of the video game boom on kickstarter um, I feel like after that, there were uh, not a lot of games were were finding a lot of success, or the, their kind of goals were getting smaller as as time went on. Yeah, yeah, I remember that was around the time of like Shovel Knight and Bloodstained and some of those really big ones. Mm, yeah. How how have you seen the reception over the years? Uh, yeah, I think I, I'm still surprised at at the reception <laughs> um, that that so many people. Uh, a saw it and B enjoyed it, um, uh, and I, I still see comments of people like finding their cats in the game, or uh, you know, re recommending it to people on on Twitter or, or, or Reddit. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's 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 it, it makes me happy that that you know I just kind of whipped up a, a silly game in my spare time about you know my childhood cat, and a lot of people kind of gravitated towards that. Um, and 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 related to it on on some level and i know a lot of comments we used to get uh throughout development where you know like at, at pax when people would come by and see it they'd be like oh my cat does that or you know they'd play the game and be like oh now i understand why why cats do this and uh just all that kind of positivity around the game um was was really really humbling i didn't know that i didn't know it was based on your childhood cat that's that's really awesome that's really personal yeah yeah he was uh a very interesting cat and he always wanted he always got what he wanted whether we gave it to him or not um and yeah he would always you know growing up we would have like no no cats on the the counters or tables like um you know if we're cooking or eating or whatever um 
So of course he would just go up whenever he wanted to um, and knock stuff over or steal a pizza or, or whatever. So um, there was, there was no stopping him. <laughs> I've only ever had dogs, but I've had a couple dogs that were like that. So <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I imagine what it must have been like. And I know at one point the game was at SGDQ. Mm. That must what what is that like? Like as a developer, <laughs> seeing your game speedrun. Yeah, that was um, a, a shock to me. <laughs> I I um, so for people that that don't know uh, how how the game works is uh, all the levels are procedurally generated. Um, and there are different themes of, uh, for levels. So there's like a, a standard house and then there's kind of like a modern house, a log cabin, a, a mansion. Uh, and then there are some uh, bonus levels. Uh, and, the, and the way the game works is you play through the four kind of normal levels in order. Um, and the actual levels are, are procedurally generated. Uh, and at any time you can kind of find a, a bonus key to go to the, the special levels. Uh, so beating the game is really just playing through four levels and getting a high score at the end. Uh, and then you can replay as much as you want to get higher scores or see new levels or topple new objects. Um, so yeah, the, the GDQ run was basically how, how getting through four levels as fast as possible. Um, and, and completing a level is, is knocking over just some number of items, which is also procedurally generated. So there's a lot of RNG in the game. Um, and but but it's a pretty quick speed run. I think um, I think they did it in like thirteen minutes total. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, it was I, I, it was funny because it was one of the um, it was a small run, so it was kind of slotted in at at um, one of the early morning slots. So I think I woke up at like four in the morning to to watch it live, <laughs> just because that's that's when it was uh, when it was running. Um, but yeah, it was it was really funny to to see someone play really fast and at a high level because it's it's when you think of speedrun games, it's not one that I would think comes to mind. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was it was great. Correct me if I am wrong, but with with some of your games, you do like the art design and programming, right? Uh, I do a little of that. Yeah, most of it. Um, recently has been uh, design and, and programming focused. Um, uh, for, for the original Cat Lateral, we, we, I, I made a lot of the kind of basic models for, for the levels and uh, like the objects you could knock over. Um, and with, with working with Firehose, um, they uh, helped get me in touch with, with a, a 3D artist to help uh, model variations and new, new objects. Um, and like the cat models and that sort of thing. Um, but a lot of the like 2D UI stuff was stuff that I made. Um, and a lot of the art was uh, kind of variations on, on things that I uh, either made for the prototype or, or shortly after. Um, so yeah, I, I tend to kind of touch all aspects of the game, um, but, but yeah, definitely more design and, and programming focused now. Awesome. And like, what would you say is something about your design process that like nobody knows? Um, yeah, I, I think 
the way I tend to look at games, uh, or at least designing games when when I'm kind of starting out on an idea is trying to latch on to a, a fun and interesting experience that I haven't seen before. Um, and that that's how cat lateral started was I, you know, had always had always grown up with cats and um, you know, had this theme for this game jam be, you know, an interesting first person game. Um, I, I was kind of thinking like, what, what games haven't I seen that, that would be interesting. And, and a first person cat game was one where I, I hadn't seen it before. And as far as I could tell, it, it didn't exist, uh, or at least, uh, not, not in a professional or like a released capacity. Um, so just kind of thinking like what what is something that a player would want to do in a game that they they haven't done before or you know what's a what's a place or an environment that a, a player would want to play in that that they haven't or they can't experience in real life um and that's just kind of taking that perspective uh is is kind of how i start thinking of of new game ideas um and yeah i think there's a lot of different angles that that people come from i know a lot of uh bigger companies are, you know, what, what makes the most money or, you know, what, what can we do with this or that, um, or, or what's popular right now. Um, so, yeah, I feel like, I, I don't know if, if, if my approach is the best way, but I, I've, I try to think first and foremost, like what, what is the player going to experience, um, at, at a high level and try to try to design from there. Totally. Yeah. I think there are so many times I've played a game where it's brought an idea to the table and it was something that I said to myself, you know, I never knew that this was something I wanted. I, I was just playing, have you played Donut County? Yes. Yeah. That is, I just played that yesterday. And like that idea of like just having the hole on the ground that gets bigger and bigger is something I never would have even dreamed would have been like a game idea but they made it so cool and fun. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's stuff like that. Uh, I, I kind of think there are definitely games that I've played where, you know, while I'm playing them, I think, you know, this could have probably been a movie <laughs> or this could have been, you know, some other medium. Um, so yeah, definitely thinking, yeah, like Calaro, like, like Donut County, like what is a thing that's only possible in a game? Um, that that players haven't seen before and i think that's that, that's at least what gets me excited about about games what was it like bringing back cat lateral for the remeowster uh i yeah it was it was exciting um uh because i think since so so the original cat lateral came out in 2015 the, the kind of 1.0 release um so uh and and development on Remyoster started in uh, kind of end of 2018. So there was about a three year period where, um, you know, I've, I, I had done some follow-up uh, development on the original game, but there was a lot of time where I was thinking about kind of all the things that I, you know, wish I had done or things that I had changed or things that could have been better or uh, like a lot of feedback people have given that, that, I, I wasn't able to act on. Um, and I think it just having that opportunity to take kind of the, the core concept and just build it out a slightly different way uh, with, with some new stuff and uh, some, some changes and, and adjustments, I think 
uh, was a, a really great opportunity. Um, and also being able to uh, deliver the game on basically all platforms was also kind of a, a nice uh, a, a nice way to make the game a bit more accessible uh, since the original game was only on uh, PC and, and PlayStation 4. Uh, so I, th I think just kind of making a, I, I've been calling it kind of like a definitive version of the game, uh, I think was, I, I think there was always some, some nagging feelings of uh, things that I wish I had done better or things that we, we could have done. Um, or, or wanted to do. And I feel like with, with Read Me Ostered, that's kind of like the the definitive package in, in my opinion. Yeah, it must've been satisfying to sort of have it complete in your eyes out mm -hmm. of the table. Were there any challenges in getting it and making it work on all the other platforms or was it fairly easy? Um, so yeah, there were a handful of, of challenges. So I think the, the big one was that um, Ostard was was completely rebuilt uh, from the ground up. Um, there are some uh, carryover uh, like art assets and and sounds and, and stuff, but uh, basically all the the code was was kind of revamped um, in in uh, a newer version of, of the engine. So so both both games were were written in Unity. Um, <clears throat> the first game was written in. Unity's version of JavaScript, they they call it Unity Script, um, and and it, it's a my my code skills were not great, so the code the code base was was a complete mess, um, and basically impossible to to update or or add new stuff to. Um, so with Remastered, uh, alongside the newer version of Unity, shifted to using uh, C Sharp instead, uh, which meant kind of porting over uh, some of the old logic uh, and rewriting uh basically everything else <laughs> um so i think the only the only code that uh i think carried over was like the movement code uh i think everything else was was reorganized um and and totally refactored so uh that that was a challenge of just kind of uh re rebuilding the game again uh but it, it wasn't too bad just because uh it, it was it, it was a known game and I knew how it was going to look, how it was going to feel, uh, generally speaking, um, and, and how things were going to work. Um, I think in terms of the, the different platforms, uh, I think Unity made it fairly easy to at least get the game up and running on everything. Uh, but each, each platform has their own uh, features and plugins you have to use. Um, like specifically on Xbox, there's a lot of uh, user management code that doesn't exist on, on other platforms. So you basically have to manage who's logging in and logging out and making sure everyone's accounts are using the correct save data and, and that sort of thing. Uh, whereas like on Nintendo Switch or, or PlayStation, um, you can really only be logged into like one user so that that's kind of uh, taken care of. Uh, but then there's just the different platforms have different features too. So like the Switch has a touch screen and none of the other ones do. So uh, making sure we supported that for menus um, uh, was uh, a little bit of, of, of some work. Um, and then, uh, yeah, like both the uh, PlayStation 5 and the Switch have uh, a new, a new uh, vibration um, mode in the controllers, uh, like a more advanced vibration system. So uh, kind of supporting that uh, took a little bit of work too. Um, and then I think just, just the, I guess, non-development stuff of 
getting builds uploaded to the different websites and getting them through cert and catching bugs and all that stuff that that happens after you make a build was was a bit of a challenge too just because we were supporting basically everything so i, I think it was <clears throat> six six platforms total so pc switch ps4 ps5 xbox one and xbox series yeah and, and those are all separate builds um with with slight differences in them so uh yeah and, and doing that all as as basically one one developer is uh, I, I kind of took it as, as a fun challenge to see if I could do it. Um, and I did, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like on the ground floor practically for PS5 and Xbox series. Yeah, I, I think I got my uh, PlayStation 5 dev kit like a week before it came out. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I, I would have loved to, to be a launch title, but I think a couple months after, or actually it was almost a year yeah almost a year after um it's, it's not too bad all right so we are gonna take a short musical break stay right here chris
And welcome back to Pixel Pizza. You just listened to Afterglow by Memo Demo. And we are back here with Chris talking about cat lateral damage and other stuff. So, Chris, I remember that I think it was it was at some Boston game convention that we met. It may have been one of the smaller dev meetups. But, I mean, we saw each other a bunch at PAXs and different things. And that was so awesome. But I know right now, of course, there really isn't much in the way of conventions. And so how has that affected the way that you're marketing your games? Yeah, it's definitely put a bit of a damper on stuff. Like, yeah, there's, there's, there isn't really a good way to, uh, you know, get feedback on stuff easily. Um, as as it used to be when we would you know just bring bring a build to a meetup and have a bunch of people play it or um, you know bring it to PAX and have a lot of uh, fresh eyes on it and and get excited about it. Um, so yeah, I think that that's kind of the big change. Um, and even just on the developer side, like uh, going to meetups to just talk to people and see what other people are working on is is harder too. Um, so yeah, just trying to keep uh keep a pulse on things through like there's a there's a boston slack community where people post what they're working on and um, have have different conversations there um trying to talk more about the game on social media um just to to get it out there but um yeah i i i was joking because i i went to pax east in 2020 right like right before uh, everything happened um yeah and i i was i was joking throughout 2020 that 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 we went to the 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 only game conference the greatest game conference in (laughs) in 2020 uh just because because everything else got canceled um but yeah i i I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I bought a I bought a ticket for PAX East this year. I'm not sure if I'll go. <laughs> we'll see. Um, it, it'd be yeah. It'd, it'd be nice to go back and, and just kind of see people and uh, just just be immersed in that again. But yeah, d- definitely trying to keep as safe as possible as a as a priority. Yeah, when all that stuff when everything is safe, I I just I miss Boston so much. I miss all the cool people I met there. I really hope to go to a PAX or something. Mm. Uh, so you mentioned that, you know, you've been working with Firehose since like 2013 and you're still there now. So how how would you say like the company's evolved in that time? Because that's, that's a while to be with a company. Yeah. Um, so, so when I started working with them, um, they were starting up like a, an indie accelerator program. Um, and Catlateral was kind of like the first uh, game to to run through that that program, um, and so at that point we were just kind of partnering on the game, uh, and uh, basically like, like I wasn't working full time with uh, for them. I was work- just kind of working with them, um, but they were they were um, nice enough to kind of open up their their office space to me so that I could work in person with them and and basically have a desk to to work on the game um so i did that for about um two years i think i think it was 
uh yeah it was sometime in 2016 when i was kind of rolling off of cat lateral um uh firehose was was looking for for new projects to kick up um and i ended up working on a vr game with a couple developers there uh it was a very short like three two to three month project we were just kind of uh trying to see if we could we could get something out quickly um uh and we did we we launched uh king kaiju i think it was early 2017 um on on steam um and, th and that was a kind of a fun just quick let, let's try try something new project um and then after that uh firehose got a big um contract project that that needed a bunch of people um and at that point i didn't have anything else lined up um so they they hired me full-time to be the project manager for that uh contract um and then uh, we ended up doing a second contract that was similar to that, that uh, I also worked as a project manager on. Um, and then we did a bunch of prototyping um, and you know, some other small contract work here and there. Uh, and uh, now we're working on a, a, a pretty big unannounced project. Um, and yeah, my roles kind of shifted to a be a bunch of different things. I, I think my title has always kind of been project manager, um, but uh, I've, I've recently shifted to my title to be just game developer because I do like a little of, of everything uh, there. Um, so uh, yeah, and, and the company's definitely, I think when I started working with them, um, the company was was fairly small. I, f I forget how big, the, I think it was around 10 or, or, or fewer. Um, and now we're, we're a little bit bigger, uh, than that. Um, so yeah, I think the company definitely has, has grown a bit and we've worked on a bunch of stuff together. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a fun ride. That's exciting. What was it like taking on the role of project manager? Cause I know that's like an entirely different skill set. Yeah, I, I think, uh, that, that came about because during, uh, lateral development um i was very much you know in, in turn in addition to, to doing programming and, and design and, and a lot of other stuff i was definitely kind of wearing the project manager hat and always thinking you know we have to get this game out as soon as possible and you know let's not waste time on things that that um you know will take a bunch of time and, and effort to build and, and people won't notice or um I was just I was trying to kind of develop as lean as possible, knowing kind of what what we had for resources and 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 budget and that sort of thing. Uh, so when this uh, the contract project came up, um, uh, Aton, the studio lead, was like, you know, you are very good at managing yourself on Catlateral. Uh, do you want to manage this project? Like, there's a lot of overlap in terms of responsibilities, um, and it, I, th I think it ended up working out pretty well um, because the, the team was um, the, the team that I was managing was, was fairly small. I think like six, six to eight people. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it was definitely, there was a definitely a lot of learning <laughs> on the job um, and, and learning to kind of get, get everybody on board and uh, you know, divvying up tasks and just making making sure that the development was going smoothly and also uh, communicating with the client a lot to kind of be the liaison of like 
telling the team, the development team, what, what the client wants, telling the client, giving the client updates from uh, the development team. Um, and uh, it was a lot of emails, <laughs> oh. I remember. Um, so yeah, there was a, a lot of, a, a good chunk of time where I, I wasn't actually doing any active development. It was mostly just kind of making sure the, the project went smoothly and, and everybody had it what they needed. Yeah, I did project management on a couple of grad school projects. We did some, we did a VR adaptation of Frankenstein mm. and we were doing it for the local library to show at their exhibition for the bicentennial anniversary of the novel. And so we had this guy who was the head of the library as our client. And so for me, it was just this huge crash course in sending emails and making sure the what the client wanted was something we were able to do with the technology because they didn't really know the whole technology and making, yeah, making sure everyone in the team was on the same page and hitting the deadlines and was so much learning on the fly. That... Yeah. Yeah. The biggest thing for me was that, that for learning was like, yeah, the, the client not knowing the technology or, or even like how games get made or just them not knowing a lot of that stuff um, and having to kind of explain to them why certain things weren't possible or, you know, why things are taking as long as they're taking or, you know, just, just, just kind of communicating those two different, like, like it's basically being a translator <laughs> between exactly. the, the development and, and the, the client, which was, uh, which is a lot of work, but um, definitely a, a useful skill set to have. I guess another question I had was, you know, we've talked about where you've been. What would you say your hopes are for this coming year for your career uh, for the industry uh yeah I, i'm i'm kind of at an interesting point um kind of having having shipped uh remastered last year where um i yeah I, I am actively asking myself that stuff right now <laughs> um and i i think uh having having recently shipped a game i i kind of forgot what it was like to to do that and how exciting that is to, to kind of put something out uh, into the world. So I'm, I'm hoping that um, this year we can, I can kind of help put some more games out um, or at least have some, ha have uh, be a part of, of a shipping, a shipping game uh, or at least, uh, you know, like announcing a, an interesting game. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, I think it would be nice to, uh, see some more developer developers in person again. <laughs> um, I don't, I, I feel like, uh, last year it, it seemed, uh, like things were, were going to get better and then things got worse and now things maybe are getting better. So I, I have no idea when, <laughs> when, uh, in-person events will return, but, uh, yeah, it would be nice to, to kind of go to a meetup and, and see what other people are, are, are working on again. But, um, yeah, I think, I think, just kind of staying staying connected with people um, and and trying to get better at at uh, keeping up with people, I think is kind of one a big thing that I want to do this year. Yeah, that's that's been that's been a big thing for me is, and I think maybe that's part of why I wanted to bring back this podcast was finding cool people like you who I connected with 
a long time ago, but haven't gotten to speak to since. And yeah, being able to reconnect, I think, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah. important. And I just remembered, <laughs> I remembered the other time we saw each other was when we were waiting in line for the Amiibos at Target. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a very specific point in time where everybody was after <laughs> the Super Smash Brothers Amiibos. And I was going all the time to waiting out in the cold with my friends <laughs> at the different chains because sometimes they would have them at best buy sometimes they would have them at target yeah that was definitely a, a wild time oh, where yeah. yeah we're just hopping to different stores and hoping that the stores got more than three of them or whatever um and yeah i feel like the past couple of years it, they've been better at stocking them or or maybe the demand has died down a lot but i, I feel like it's a little bit easier to, to get them get them now or or at least order them online oh, which yeah. is nice so order them online. do you have any funny other stories from that era i'm trying to remember i i definitely remember waiting outside in the cold at like toys r us because toys r us was still around right. um i think that was for the lucario amiibo um and yeah i just remember there being like 10 people in line and there was always that person that like had slept there overnight or whatever. Um, and then everybody else was there at like 6am or whatever. Um, and then, you know, they'd open the doors or, um, you know, they'd, they'd have people, I, I remember they would like hand out flyers with numbers on Maybe that was Best Buy. I think Best Buy did that. They would like put a number on your, oh, yeah, like yeah. a thing and hand it out to like, be like, you have like, stay in line and if you don't get a paper you're not it you know you're not getting one um but before that it was just like a it was just a free-for-all where like they would open the doors and people would just run in and like you had to like have memorized the layout of the store to know how to get there the fastest um and then you know either they'd be on the shelves or they'd have them in a separate area or or what and uh yeah it was it was it was something else I, I i definitely have not done that since then <laughs> are there any games you're playing right now that are like inspiring you would you say um i i don't know i feel like i a lot of the games i've been playing the past couple of years um and, and maybe it's influenced by the pandemic but i i feel like a lot of games that i've been playing are like my comfort games like I feel like I haven't been playing a lot of like brand new stuff. Um, I like, I've been playing a lot of the Picross games on oh. switch, um, which I had played a lot of them on the 3ds before that, um, or, and the DS before that. Um, so I, I always just find my way back there because it's, it's a nice, like shut off your brain type game and just like fill in the squares. <laughs> um, it's kind of a, a relaxing thing. Um, and then I'm I'm at the end of the Diamond and Pearl, the Pokemon game remakes, um, which again is a, a game that I've I've played through already um, in the past, but um, I'm revisiting with with the updated version. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any like brand new games. Uh, I, I'm like really bad at starting games because I feel like it's like a big commitment <laughs> of like oh no I got to learn a new like control scheme or learn a new story or whatever um, which is why i kind of fall back to to old stuff but um 
Um, I'm trying to think what I feel like there there was a game that I was playing recently, but I can't I can't remember what it was. So another another question I always have to ask on this show. I asked it in the before days when this was a radio program, and I'm asking it now. Where is your favorite place to get pizza? Hmm. Um, <laughs> I feel like this is a bad answer, but uh, lately we've been on a, me and my wife have been on a Domino's kick, which I think some people would argue isn't real pizza. Um, <laughs> but I feel like it, it fulfills the same, uh, I don't know, pizza cravings that we have. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think before that, um where we would go that was like not a chain place uh, oh uh there's a place um that is near where the fire hose offices used to be um in, in cambridge uh called all-star pizza bar um and i think I, I would get lunch there like once a week or once every two weeks um and they they're 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 interesting in that they have a lot of kind of quirky pizza topping combinations but they also like you can also just go up and order a slice um but their slices are a quarter of a pizza like a double slice <laughs> um so you get like a, a, a huge portion but um they do for their slices they do like cheese pepperoni uh, a veggie pizza and then one called the funky which is just like a random mix of ingredients <laughs> that I assume they have left over or something. <laughs> um, so you'll get like sausage and red peppers and like ricotta cheese or something. And that's just, just for that day. Um, and so, you don't so know that's not what you're going to get. If you order the funky, it's just different every time. Yeah. You don't know until you like walk up to the restaurant. <laughs> like I think you can probably call ahead, but yeah, they, they have a chalkboard um, inside that they update every day with the, the, the funky and the veggie flavors. So um, <clears throat> that that was always a fun kind of game of like, oh, I wonder, I wonder what random pizza flavor they're gonna have today. Um, and if it's something totally weird, I'll just get a pepperoni or something. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. that that was a that was an office favorite when when we were in the office. I wonder if <laughs> like big slices of pizza like that is just a Boston thing because when I was going to school at Emerson, right by Boylston. I don't know if you ever went to it, but there's a place called New York Pizza. And no, I don't. I don't think I've been there. Yeah, they gave you these pretty cheap slices that were enormous, and everybody at the school would go there. And it was like you could get like buffalo chicken, you could get different veggies, meat lovers, all these. But the slices were just enormous like, <laughs> i couldn't believe it it was all questions i had in mind chris was there anything else you were interested you wanted to add i don't think so yeah i don't <laughs> um yeah i don't know a lot of the the work i'm doing now is is unannounced or confidential so um <laughs> it's i'm not yeah i'm not sure when when I'll be able to, to talk about that stuff. So um, yeah, Calado was the last kind of public thing I've been working on. So um, yeah. Then right. where can people follow you to keep up with any updates on future projects? 
Um, so you can follow me on Twitter. Um, I'm at Crixelion, C-H-R-I-X-E-L-E-O-N. Um, you can also follow the Cat Lateral Damage pages. Um, if you just go to catlateraldamage.com, um, there's all the, the links there. Um, I, I don't tweet super often um, unless it's <laughs> typically an announcement or something uh, big that I that I want to share. But um, that's that's where I would do it if I was <laughs> going to be announcing stuff. Yes, I'll I'll make sure to link those in the description. So anyone who's like listening to this in the car or whatever and can't remember the URLs can dig them up when when they read it and also i will do the same for our musical artist of the week so go support them memo demo and thank you so much for taking the time to join me today chris i really really appreciate it yeah no problem this is this is fun yeah it was great catching up with you Mm -hmm. so this concludes the first episode of the pixel pizza reboot thank you for tuning in and listening and we will see you next week. So to end us off, here is a final track by Memo Demo called Mean Mug.